So one of the early applications that I was thinking of way back over 10 years ago, because of my own history of working in magnetic resonance imaging, MRI, was to use these little defects in diamond, these little quantum sensors, now to do MRI, but on small length scales, eventually at the scale of individual biological cells and within biological cells, and really ultimately individual proteins and other kind of biomolecules. Welcome back to Relatively Certain, a science podcast straight from researchers at the University of Maryland. I'm Dina Genkina, and today we'll be digging for diamonds. Figuratively, of course. We'll see how defects in diamonds, little mistakes in their crystal structure, can actually be what makes them beautiful, or at least extraordinarily useful. To explain how, I spoke to a local diamond expert and quantum physicist who has been studying the capabilities of these little diamond defects for over a decade. Yes, my name is Ron Walsworth. I'm a professor at the University of Maryland in both the physics departments and also in the electrical and computer engineering department. And I'm also the founding director of the Quantum Technology Center at the University of Maryland. Walsworth is one of the pioneers of using defects in diamond, small mistakes in its internal structure, for measuring all sorts of things. So I was involved in the early days with a group of other people figuring out that these little defects in diamond are useful sensors. They're useful for measuring different things like magnetic fields, temperature, forces that are on the diamond crystal, electric fields. Imagine you've got a thin rectangular slice of diamond. Maybe it was cut from a fancy piece of jewelry, or maybe you've synthesized it in your lab. It's got little defects peppered everywhere inside it. Your fiancé would probably be underwhelmed, but the defects in this diamond slice, or we might call it a chip, turned out to be really good at picking up on tiny magnetic fields. Now, Walsworth is at the forefront of an effort to harness the sensitivity to magnetic fields in order to hopefully one day listen into what's going on inside individual living cells. Diamonds can be defective in all sorts of ways, but Walsworth focuses on a particularly promising kind of defect called a nitrogen vacancy, or NV for short. I mean, NVs are one kind of defect inside of diamond, which is a kind of material that most people think about as gemstones. Uh, but of course, it's a useful technological material too. And diamond is grown in, industrially in laboratories, not just dug out of the ground as gemstones uh, for all sorts of applications because of its special properties. Diamonds are actually pretty simple, chemically speaking. A diamond is nothing but an orderly grid of carbon atoms. And defects are mistakes in this grid. They might happen accidentally, but for scientific purposes, they're either implanted into an existing piece of diamond or purposefully cultivated while the diamond is grown in the lab. Scientists don't know how to place this in a particular spot in the diamond, but they've developed techniques that reliably put a given density of defects into the diamond chip. Either way, the result is a diamond chip with your defects of choice peppered around inside it. An NV defect is a simple substitution in the boring carbon grid. If you pick two neighboring carbon atoms from the grid and replace one with a nitrogen atom and one with, well, nothing, a vacancy, you've got yourself an NV defect. Electrons cluster around the empty space, making it look like a lone strange atom isolated in a sea of carbon. And it turns out that these de defects act quantum mechanically. They kind of act like 
atoms is frozen inside of a solid state matrix. They can have energy levels. They can absorb and emit individual photons of light. They can have other quantum mechanical properties like electronic or nuclear spin, things like that. Normally, manipulating individual atoms, or really anything quantum, is a tall order. You need things like vapor cells, vacuum chambers, fancy refrigerators. But with NV defects, you get some of the cool quantum features of individual atoms at room temperature and inside this strong material, diamond, that you can cut into almost any shape you like. At first, scientists were excited about using NV defects, also known as NV centers, for some of their favorite quantum tasks, like trying to build quantum computers or studying fundamental quantum physics. Some of these efforts are still underway, but they turned out to be extraordinarily difficult with defects. The NVs were very finicky. Then starting around 2007 and 8, kind of there was this sort of mindset change in which we realized that the kind of what had up to that point been the annoying sensitivity of the NVs to environmental conditions like magnetic fields and whatnot, so that you had to spend all your time stabilizing and controlling the diamond and keep it to be you know correct for the sensitivity, could actually be turned around and used as a feature, not a bug. And then you say, why don't we use it as a sensor? Right, why don't we use these defects in the diamond as a sensor, not as just some platform for basic physics? Walsworth and others got to work trying to turn lemons into lemonade by using the NV's sensitivity to magnetic fields instead of mitigating its impact. So maybe these little tiny defects in diamonds could be used as high-precision sensors. But what does that have to do with biology and living cells? Well, small oscillating magnetic fields are actually everywhere. Every atom's nucleus, its protons and neutrons, contain a sort of little spinning fridge magnet, which broadcasts information about what the atom is and what's around it. All those little protons inside the, the hydrogen atoms, inside the water and the fat and the other things inside your body, are emitting radio signals. It's been going on forever, but only in the last century did scientists realize they were doing this. And if you can make little radio detectors and, and measure those radio signals, you can learn things about the materials that they're coming from, including human bodies and other sorts of things. This is how magnetic resonance imaging, or MRI, machines work. They boost these nuclear radio signals with a large magnetic field and detect them with an antenna. These radio signals are nothing more than magnetic fields themselves oscillating up and down at radio frequencies. And if you can measure them, you can tune in to the signal being broadcast by your body or most any other sample, possibly even a single cell. However, the weak and small magnetic moments that are associated with the nuclear spins, yeah, they, they make it be that the signals will pass through your out of your body and you'll get all this chemical information, but they make it hard to detect. The signals are weak. And because they're so weak, you need large amounts of material to get a detectable signal. So with conventional technology, you're not able to detect the signal, even though it's there, it's just too weak, from an individual protein or an individual cell. It's too small, not enough stuff. The signal's not loud enough. When you get an MRI at the hospital or an imaging center, doctors can tell you all about things in your body that are around a millimeter in size. But they've got no idea what's going on in an individual cell, which can be hundreds or even thousands of times smaller in each direction. This is where NV defects in diamonds might come to the rescue. They're a very sensitive alternative to the antennas used in MRIs. 
they wouldn't work great with humans because the diamond chip needs to be very close to the nuclear radio station source. If you plopped it on your knee, it would pick up information coming from your skin, but probably not the muscle or bone underneath. But if you put the same chip under a sample in a petri dish, it might be able to pick up nuclear radio signals on a much smaller scale than previously possible. But the goal is to make MRI at small length scales as useful for cellular studies and drug discovery and ultimately studying proteins as people have in the 20th century and uh, made it useful for large objects like looking at human bodies, etc. The sensitivity of an NV center is inherently linked to its quantum properties. In quantum mechanics, energy is quantized. This means the energy can only be certain values like 1, 2, or 3, but not 2.2 or 44.3. You can think of it like a ladder where the energy of the NV can only land on the rungs. Say the NV happens to be on the lowest energy rung. It'll stay there unless it gets some extra energy to hop up to the second one. But it needs the exact amount of energy corresponding to how far that second rung is. No more, no less. It so happens that in an NV, the distance between the first and second rung corresponds to microwave energy. Yeah, the same frequency you use to heat up leftovers in your microwave oven. So, bathing the NV in microwaves is one way to boost its energy to the higher rung. Don't try this at home. But then you can also apply a magnetic field from the outside. Let's say the magnetic field you want to measure, the magnetic field that might come from um, a biological sample or rocks or condensed matter physics sample or for navigating around the world or whatever. That's the thing you want to measure. What does that do, that magnetic field from the outside world? When an NV center is being bombarded by a magnetic field, the rung spacings can change around. For these lowest two rungs, the stronger the magnetic field, the closer together they are. This means a smaller amount of energy or slightly lower frequency microwaves, are needed to make the NV hop up a rung. So the magnetic field dictates the rung spacing, which dictates the microwave frequency needed to excite it up. But the logic runs both ways. If we find the right microwave frequency, we'll know the rung spacing, and voila, we've detected the magnetic field. Even though you can't see this rung hopping directly with your eye, scientists can use a laser and a fancy camera to probe it. The envy itself shines when illuminated by a laser, and the brightness with which it shines depends on which of these two bottom rungs it's on. So let's think of a diamond chip that's rectangular in shape, grown kind of like a microscope slide that somebody might use in a laboratory. Maybe the magnetic field you want to measure is coming from a cool rock. You take this diamond with the NVs, maybe a micron so deep, plop the rock on top of it. Now the NVs emit light, which can be, can be imaged onto a camera, and for each pixel in the image, you're getting information about the magnetic fields in that little region of the rock, which is adjacent to the NVs. With one defect, you can figure out the magnetic field in one spot, the part of the rock that's right next to it. That's cool, but maybe not enough to learn anything new. But with a slab full of NV defects, you can map out a changing magnetic field over a larger region. Each defect is sensitive to tiny changes in the magnetic field, and the whole lot is sensitive to these changes over a very small distance, possibly even down to the size of individual cells. So we're not yet able to just do all the MRI on individual cells and proteins that we want to eventually get to, but that is a, that's the big goal. But in the last few years, we've made major steps towards it. 
Those steps included figuring out how to get cell-sized spatial resolution in magnetic fields, as well as developing a novel technique to allow MVs to distinguish between different radio frequencies with high accuracy. But there's one lingering issue. The radio signal from a single atom or molecule is still far too weak to detect, even for the very sensitive NVs. Imaging individual proteins outside of pristine laboratory conditions is, for the moment, still a dream. For now, a whole bunch of molecules have to be broadcasting in unison to boost the signal. In biological samples, such as groups of cells, the interesting molecules are often floating around in water, only a few here and there. Zooming in on smaller regions, as NV defects can do, provides high resolution, but it also cuts down on the number of molecules that contribute to the broadcast, making the signal very difficult to detect. In previous studies, Walsworth's team used artificial samples that were all signal and no filler. Though we did this, the concentration of the samples we were studying was 100%. We were not studying very dilute molecules in solution, let's say in water or something like this, that are at biologically relevant concentrations. We were doing things that were thousands of times or tens of thousands of times more concentrated. In more realistic concentrations, the signal quickly gets too weak. Part of the problem is that the little magnets inside the nuclei that send out the radio signals all start out pointing in slightly different directions. In physics speak, they have different polarizations, causing a cacophony that tends to cancel out rather than adding up to more signal. Magnitude of the signal that you get is a function of the number of molecules, certainly. It's a function of the magnetic signals that each molecule in principle could give out based upon its weak nucleomagnetic moment. But it's also a function of the polarization, meaning how are the molecules all working together? Are they all giving the same signal at the same time? Are their spins all polarized and working collectively? Or are they poorly polarized, where most of them, they're kind of pointing in random directions and only out of all these many molecules, there's only a net polarization that's like one out of a million or something like that. One way to increase the signal is to line up more of the molecules' nuclear spins so that more of them would broadcast in unison. In an MRI machine, this is done by cranking up the external magnetic field, forcing some fraction of the nuclear magnets to align themselves to it. But for the tiny signals coming from a single cell, the strongest magnetic field in the world would hardly make a dent. The fraction of spins that can polarize still results in a signal that's just too low. Instead, Walsworth's team took a lesser-known page out of the MRI playbook and found a way to force more of the little nuclear magnets to point in the same direction. These are well-established techniques for macroscopic samples, but had never been done before on this kind of small length scales. And it wasn't clear whether they would work on small length scales. But they gave it a try. Instead of a big magnet far away, they injected small, pre-aligned magnets directly into the sample, so they could cozy up to the nuclear magnets and coax them into alignment. They effectively transferred the polarization of the injected magnets to the nuclear magnets they were trying to detect. The way you're going to do that is to mix in a kind of benign substance which carries an electron spin with it so that you can transfer uh, the spin polarization from the electron spins to the nuclear spins. With this technique, reported in the journal Physical Review X in 2020, they were able to increase the signal 200-fold. A great stride, but still about 500 times too weak for realistic organic concentrations. Walsworth and his colleagues didn't skip a beat. 
Less than a year later, in 2021, they reported a new method to line up nuclear spins, this time in Physical Review X Quantum. They used a recently developed trick and applied it to smaller length scales than ever before. This time, they bubbled hydrogen gas into their sample. The hydrogen molecules in this gas were specially selected to have their nuclear spins all pointing in the same direction. Not just many or even most, practically all of the nuclear magnets of the hydrogen are identical. They transferred the spin from the hydrogen to the molecules they were studying by means of a catalyst also injected into the solution. With this technique, they managed to get 100,000 times more signal from their sample. And they hope to do even better with fancier tools. That's the this kind of five-order of magnitude improvement in spin polarization. With still some room to improve beyond that is uh, starting to be very promising for getting down these really interesting low concentrations that people care about when they're doing analysis of the metabolism of cells or doing this chemical analysis on drug samples and things like that. The possibility of doing MRI on sizes and concentrations of real cells is getting tantalizingly close, but a healthy dose of skepticism goes a long way. I'm pretty optimistic about it, but time will tell and the research will, will tell. I'd say it's about got about a 50-50 chance. Such is the nature of, of new technologies. There's a swath, not just things I'm doing, but many of my colleagues, a swath of technologies that people are pursuing that translate from fundamental physics or attempt to translate out to useful applications. Uh, and some of them make that path successfully because they end up solving problems people care about, and some just remain physics curiosities. That's the way it goes, and that's okay. Because along the way, we learn things about nature, and we train young people on how to do science and engineering well, and we learn more. So that was a long-winded answer to say, I don't know. I'd say it's about 50-50. <laughs> if this coin toss comes out heads, and NV centers in Diamond prove to be viable MRI alternatives at tiny length scales, this could not only accelerate drug discovery, but also answer some fundamental questions about what goes on inside of cells. That's it for this episode. Here's hoping defective diamonds are forever, forever useful. Thanks this week to Ron Walsworth for explaining NVs and what their future might hold. And thanks to Nithya Arun Kumar, a postdoctoral researcher in Walsworth's lab who led the most recent signal boosting advance, for explaining her work and keeping us honest. We'll be back soon with another episode. For Relatively Certain, I'm Dina Genkina. I don't know if you've ever had an MRI done. Why it takes so long? Why you're in there for an hour with all the and, and the funny noises that people are hearing in MRI machines? Ba, 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 all this. What is what is this crazy stuff? What it is 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 that you are applying these strong pulsed magnetic field gradients. There's huge forces at work. These forces will essentially cause the system to vibrate a little bit. That you can detect in an audio way. Without the great engineering, it would be even worse. This is what they get when, by making it very well engineered to have minimal noise, but still non-zero. Mm -hmm.